They're a team building for the future with one of the brightest young managers in the business. So say the people impressed with what's being done down at Darville. The Ayrshire side have got a star-studded squad, a pitch that looks like a bowling green, and those changing rooms. But the detractors haven't been slow to slam what they're doing either. They say it's the same old story of a club with a wealthy benefactor paying big wages and buying their way to glory. Their boss, Mick Kennedy, joins us on the show tonight. He'll be managing in the new West of Scotland Premiership next season after Darville led the West Juniors Championship when football stopped and they were subsequently promoted. We'll find out what life is like in the dugout when all eyes are on you and we'll also take a look back to mixed days playing and managing in the amateurs. And just when you thought the juniors in the West was done and dusted, bombshell accusations emerged on Sunday night. We know now the league originally agreed to make their season null and void, only to perform a U-turn just a week later, as they awarded third place Dokken Lake Talbot the title on a points-per-game basis. That came after, wait for it, Ocken Lake Talbot's commercial director stepping in. We'll discuss that too. And as if managing Darville isn't busy enough for him, Mick is also the owner of the Black Rooster Chicken Outlets. We'll chat to him about his business and how the coronavirus has affected things there. And unlike the Black Rooster, we'll do our best not to make a meal of things for the next hour or so as we go down the divisions. So Paul, football is back in Germany then and new mains are getting involved in some Bundesliga action too. They are, Gareth, and uh, this is the kind of first I've heard about it this week, but it's another great initiative by the Media Academy that's been set up, uh, and what the club's actually done is adopted a team, so we've went for, is it Mins you pronounce it? Mines. Mines, so we are now following uh, New Mines, uh, and it's it's just a a great wee initiative to do whilst uh, there's a, a quiet period. And there's also a film coming out. There is. Uh, there's a documentary coming out this week, I believe, uh, and it's produced by Paul Cassidy of uh, Green, Green Empire uh, Productions. Uh, and basically what's happened there is they've been following us for the, the last season or so, uh, and, and they've put some footage together, and hopefully it's it comes out this week. I've not seen it yet, so hopefully it shows us in a, in a good light and the, the good work that's going on behind the scenes at New Mains. We'll look out for that then. Um, good to have you all listening. Anyway, we're here every Wednesday with a new episode. If you've got any comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Double manager Mick Kennedy is our guest this week. As I say, thanks for joining us, Mick. Um, we'll come on to football and business later on. But how have you found the lockdown personally so far? I think we've been pretty fortunate, obviously, because I own a couple of, well, a few restaurants, uh, and we, we opened them up fairly early, and after lockdown was introduced, so it meant it gave me a bit of purpose, so I've sort of been out overseeing that, probably a bit more operational than I usually would be, to be fair, but it's just gave me a bit of purpose to get the house, so uh, I've been pretty fortunate in that regard, to be fair. Good stuff. Well, before we chat some more, we've got the Down the Divisions decider, first of all. Each week, we start with four clues for a particular year. Paul went 1-0 up last week, but it's a marathon, not a sprint. Paul, your turn to do the clues this week. Right, so this week what I've done is I'm actually going to give you five clues because I wrote these out and I thought, do you know what, that, that's quite hard. But then I don't know if I've made it too easy. So you're getting five clues this week because that's the kind of boy I am. <laughs> so you join in as well, Mick. So 
The first clue is CNN launched their first 24-hour cable network. Snooker World Championship was contested by Cliff Thorburn and Alex Higgins. Thorburn won in 18 frames to 16. Hearts won the Scottish League 1, getting promoted into the Premier League. Keith won the Highland League and Aberdeen won the Premier Division. I threw that one in at the end, but I think that might be too big a clue. I'll kick myself okay. if you if you get this. Right, Mike, you're the guest. You go first. It's certainly not too big a clue for me, mate, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I would need about 10 clues, I think, to get that, David. I'll tell you what we'll do, Gareth. You go first and then Mick can pick two years after you or before you. Aye, let's do that. I'm going to go 1987. Okay. I'll go 1988. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll come back at the end of the end of the podcast with the answer to that. Double manager Mick Kennedy is our guest this week. Uh, when the season was stopped, Mick, you were well on course to be crowned championship winners. That was your first season in charge. It was some some start for you. You must have been delighted the way it all all went. Yeah, I, I think I think so. Be my first year coming into that that environment, that level of football. Uh, I was I was pretty fortunate when I made the decision to take the job quite early on. Uh, I think it was last February. So I had a, a good few months introduction. Every so often when I did have a game on a Saturday with Cold War, I could get to midweek games ah. along and I watched as much as I possibly could. But then I sort of recruited the backroom staff and they were out watching games and scouting and stuff like that. So I was pretty fortunate by the time we got to the summertime and really started with a fair, a, a wee bit of knowledge. But yeah, listen, the challenge for the club from the outset and the challenge for myself when I agreed to win was fundamentally wanted promotion into the Premier Division. Uh, and whether that was to get a point in the last day of the season finish third, then really the club felt they really wanted to get in the Premier League so that was the challenge so to be in quite a strong position probably in terms of promotion uh, in terms of the title race it was probably if uh, Blantyre would have won a couple of games in hand it would have been relatively tight so the running would have been pretty interesting uh, but I think we were in quite a strong command in place in terms of getting promoted at the Premier League so I think everyone at the club including myself for the, 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 the committee and that were, were, were pretty happy with where we were at Mike, can I take you back to the Colville days? Obviously, I come from managing in the amateurs and the juniors as well. You had some great success with Colville Park, and it's a team that everybody kind of looked up to in the in the amateur game. How did you get involved with the club? So, I, when I had originally, back when I went to first play amateur football, really, I, I, I joined Drumchapel United at the time, who we were probably the most dominant team in the country at that point. When I agreed to go to uh, Drumchapel, Jerry Hamilton was a Colville Park manager and, and tried to sign me at that point. So I always had some kind of connection with Jerry and contact him over a number of years. Had a really good five years at Drumchapel, loads of success. And I just felt I needed a new challenge. I was probably then around about 30. Uh, and I decided to go to Colville Park and play for Jerry for the last few years of my career. Uh, unfortunately, had that probably ended a bit earlier than I anticipated uh, that I've got an issue in my groin that I, I think called osteitis pubis so I sort of had to retire a wee bit early probably always been quite influential in the changing room quite vocal which would probably surprise you uh, so when I decided to stop playing Jerry had asked me to go in the backroom staff and I agreed to do that then six months later Jerry decided to retire uh, so that's how I ended up taking over the reins so obviously you had some great success at, at Colville's 
winning the Scottish Amateur Cup. Was it three times did you win the, the Scottish Amateur Cup? Yeah, three, yeah, three times, yeah. And then that got you into the, did that entitle you then to go into the Senior Cup? Uh, I, my, my, my managerial record in the Scot- Scottish Amateur Cup was better than my player. I played in four and lost four. Uh, so, so that probably tells you how bad a player I was. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. And, and, and obviously fairly fortunate as a manager to, to win it three times so I, and, and then we were guaranteed to, the opportunity to go in and play in the Senior Scottish Cup So how did you find kind of managing and that's a, a huge level difference isn't it from going to amateurs then going into the, the, the kind of Senior Cup I think the preliminary rounds the gap isn't quite significant to be honest with you I think it's when you then probably we, we, each year we've played a couple of long weeks Teams, Caledonia Braves, Cumberland Colts, and uh, two years put them out to progress through. So with relative success, done really well, got to the proper third round uh, where the sort of SPL Level 2 clubs then joined. Thought I was the furthest any amateur club had been. So uh, it was a great day for the lads, great journeys for the club and stuff like that. But also great in terms of promoting amateur football because when you get up and Amateur teams get access to competitions that's important. You're going to represent it, and there's value. You're bringing some kind of value to it. So I, I felt that the three times we got there, we, we done relatively well. We had a lot of success for the club, so I, it was it was fairly enjoyable. Was, was management? You you talk about being quite vocal in the dressing room as a player. Was was management something that always interested you, even when you were playing? Probably not. To be honest with you, it's probably you probably don't think as you're playing. You probably, didn't think the playing team was ever going to end, to be honest with you. Uh, I wasn't one of the guys who was very energetic. I wasn't somebody who was known for flying at tackles. So I felt my career would have lasted quite long. I didn't really learn about So I thought, I thought, I thought it would have lasted longer than it did. But I think in my private life, uh, in terms of my working background, I, I was quite managing staff quite young and stuff like that. So I always had some kind of experience of managing people. Uh, uh, so I think that sort of helped in that transition into managing players so but I, I, it wasn't something that I seen as an actual pathway for myself but it was just something and I would never have done it unless Jerry had came to me and said listen about December time that he wanted to take a bit of a break we could put the Scottish Cup that year after having new success the last few years and he felt he just he probably got to a time he wanted to take a bit of a break and I said listen I'll take it to the end of the season then I'll evaluate it then and in terms of how things went obviously went so good there in the amateur days what made you choose what made you choose Darvel? And could you see could you see the potential there? Was that was that a big thing for you that the structure was there to, to you could take this team places? I, I, I think one of the things is everybody sort of knows me, knows that I'm pretty well known for creating quite a professional environment. We had an environment that was really on some level with some part time senior clubs in the country in terms of how we looked after the players. So when I had those opportunities to move on and I had a couple over and I had to feel that I could replicate that or improve on it. And it, it, listen, it's a real challenge at that level to invest in infrastructure off the park and also invest in playing squads. And I just felt when I sat down and met John and when they initially spoke about that we had to change the environment that was already there, we had to change the infrastructure that was in the, the club. He was open to that and he was really willing to let me support it. I, I, I was very honest from the outset. Obviously, I had, I had other opportunities to, to, to step up in theory uh, but really when I sat down and met John I, 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 he was very supportive of the environment that I felt I had to create to, 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 in terms of how I like to work so he was very open to that and he was very supportive and we spoke about changing the current infrastructure that was there and trying to change the environment put a more professional environment in place 
he was very supportive of that and I felt he was ambitious enough that that he wanted to take the club forward and try and get into that Premier Division and compete with some of the biggest clubs in the country. So I felt that I felt that it was something that was worthwhile uh, being part of. The work, uh, the work at Darv has been unbelievable, and the changing rooms are just the talk of. Uh, I was going to say the junior football, they're a talk of football. I mean, the job that they've done down there is, is first class. How did the actual job, Darvel job, come about, and was it a, a tough decision leaving Corvals? Uh, Jim Jim Wiley, who who sort of helps run the club in the background with, with the chairman, had probably contacted me. He contacted me quite early on in the year. Uh, sorry, and before Christmas time, he contacted me and asked was interested. And at that point, I'd, I'd said no. Then he contacted me again when the current manager at that time had left. Uh, I'd been down and met him. Agreed to go, come back up, had some real self reflection. Spoke to the players. Spoke to Kovo. Then phoned him back and said no. Uh, then we had a further meeting again, uh, and I just and speaking to people around about me, people, close confidence people who, who who I knew that I could trust, and they said, listen, I think it's time that you have to try and challenge yourself and push yourself. So I then decided it was the best thing to do. It was a massive, massive wrench leaving the club. And in terms of your playing squad, when you went down there, did you have to have a, a big turnaround of players, or did some of the lads follow you down for cobbles? Uh, we. I think we, we moved nearly every double player on, bar two, to be fair. Uh, and the two we kept it were in two years, they had a two-year contract, and, and soon after, pre-season and that, the guys moved on as well. We brought down probably about 10 or 11 for Kovo, another couple for amateur, some for junior, then three or four uh, from senior that I had close relationships with, and we built quite a strong quality squad in quite a short period of time so uh, but, but the core of it was the boys at Cobra I think it was important because they know how I work uh, they know the sort of ethos of principles and the culture I try and create so it was important that they, they helped me embed that and when you're bringing in new people who've never worked with before so but aye, it, was, it was a significant turnover in players to be fair You mentioned John Gold, the chairman I remember meeting John years ago when he was involved at Kilmarnock I think I went, I went to his factory. I think the bake, the Browning's baker's down there to do a feature for the paper. But big football man, isn't he? Passionate about his football. And I think you could you could tell straight away that going to Darvel, he would try and make things work. Was that something that you know you took to took to that quite 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 quickly because of the type of guy he is? I I, I think what you find, Gareth, is and listen, you've come across this yourself probably. Guys who are relatively successful in their private life and business. They, they touch. They want to have be success because that's what they used to. So it was important when I met John. I felt that that, that, that because he had that great success in his business, that, that it's something they wanted to try and replicate at Darvel. And at times I helped I play on that a wee bit. To be fair, but, <laughs> but I but that that was sort of I, I knew when I met him he was ambitious. I knew I knew that he understood business. I knew that uh, it, it, it good great business acumen. I knew that. It, to make Davo sustainable, they had the experience and people around about him to do that. So, no, but, listen, he's an interesting character, as all successful businessmen are, but he's really passionate about football, great lover of Kilmarnock. Uh, he's built a great business and Davo benefit from that. And not bad for a, a good pie on a Saturday as well, a bit partial to one of the Browning's pies, or? I had, had uh, one from a dinner yesterday, actually, and John's in every supermarket in the country. So it's quite <laughs> 
it's quite easy to get access to them. Uh, <laughs> I listen, they've made it, they're the best pies in the country without an absolute shadow of a doubt. <laughs> and um, Paul mentioned uh, the changing rooms. Tell us a bit more about the changing rooms. I mean, who, who did you have an input into the design down there? How, how did all they all come about? So, so, so when I went down originally and seen the changing rooms, uh, I, I'd said to them, listen, we need to, first and foremost, we had to invest some money in the park and get the playing surface better. Uh, then John was talking about other infrastructure, what he was planning doing, like making the, the, the lounge a bit bigger and stuff like that. And I said, listen, John, we need to invest money in the changing rooms at some point. We'll do it this season. I would do it next season, but we certainly need to do something. So he uh, made the mistake of saying, listen, you have a blank canvas, uh, you design it, build it, and uh, then we'll get it sorted. So I don't think he's expecting that, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> so you built it? Know, you actually built it? My builders came down and built it, so I designed it. Uh, my builders came down and built it. I nearly got sacked, by the way, before the season started because of it. Uh, I so 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 it was my design and uh, and my builders came down and done the work. So, are you somebody who loves that side of things? I mean, obviously you love your football, but you like I don't know looking at changing rooms on social media and thinking, oh, if, I, if I've got a changing room, I want my changing room to look like that. Is that a big thing? Like the that well, everybody's seen the reaction on social media. It's a big thing about the club, isn't it? And then having a professional setup. Yeah, I, I, I think. I'm always in the belief to try and be the best you can be for anything you can anything you do. Listen, having access to John there in the background, being able to support the club to build change rooms, that helps of course. So I'm sure every manager in the country would love to create that environment. I'm probably no different to others, probably fortunate where I'm in a situation and environment where where, where I'm, that sort of aspirations uh, able to be created. But yeah, I think anything we do in terms of football work I do is I try to make sure it's the most professional environment I can create possible. Uh, whether that's the training kit we buy, whether it's the strips we buy, whether the guys don't bring training kit, they don't bring towels, uh, sports science coaches, everything in terms of just the best environment we can create. And ultimately, it's just for players. So, MD comes and works for me and needs to understand quite early on that everything we do is about building the best environment for players. Uh, so, so, I try and make that environment the most professional it can be. I mentioned at the start there's a few detractors with how you know how well the club are doing. I've seen various figures banded about about how much the, the club's paying players. I've seen your reaction on social media to that as well. I mean, do, do you think there's a lot of jealousy out there when we've seen it before when clubs have, have maybe spent a bit more or or have got a, a good setup off the park that the people maybe don't like that fact and, and perhaps they don't like the fact that they're gonna get challenged. How, 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 what do you what do you think to all that, that this, what's been said about you? I, 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 I don't really get bothered by it. If I'm being honest with you, I, it's, I get more frustrated to the club. To be fair, uh, I think one thing it's, that I'm very honest and open about is that where John's a great benefactor for the club is that when I first met him, he, he had to reassure me that the club was sustainable and it wasn't built around John. Uh, and, and, and John, from a business perspective, to ensure that the club was sustainable in the future as well, he made sure that operationally, in terms of the playing squad and the cost of running that, the management team and stuff like that, all that's self-funded from the club itself. John doesn't pay any money towards the wages. He puts money in infrastructure, puts money into stuff off the park, definitely. But in terms of the actual wage bill, the club, the, club, the club has to work within its means and it has to meet that every year itself. And it does do that... Uh, 
there's absolutely no doubt about that. So yeah, I think you get frustrated on the back of that because to meet the, that that budget to bring in those players, <coughs> sorry, takes a lot of work from other people in the committee. Uh, committee guys who have lived in Dabo in their life, it's Dabo's been the massive part of their life. So it's it's that's where I get frustrated because they do a lot of work off the park to ensure the club has those inco- income streams. Just you touched on the recruitment there, Mike. How do you go about recruiting your players? Uh, do you have guys out watching games or is it all through word of mouth? Because some of the players that you're bringing down there from the senior game as well, you're bringing in some, some real quality players to the club. I, 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 a lot is contacts, to be fair. People I know, players, I always believe players are great recruiters of players as well. Uh, so we're very fortunate that we've got a couple of guys in the squad who played at a good level. I'm very fortunate Probably in the Glasgow area, and these days in the Glasgow and that sort of central belt, I'm relatively well known. Uh, I've got good contact, so it makes it easier when you're having those initial conversations. I, the, the other thing that's important, to, I think people seem to forget, is to earn a reasonable living in part-time football these days, you really need to travel significant distances to, to earn it, whether it's four for a race five for maybe low regions in the Hearts. Guys are having to travel two hours to training two hours back. And I think I always felt, because one of the important things I've done early on was I moved training to Glasgow. We moved to Lock-In, Chip Pollock. I always felt if you could create a senior professional environment in that area, trained in the central belt, was able to pay relatively good wages that you could convince guys to come and be part of it. And that's ultimately what we've done. And that has then led to players recommend other players and we've managed to attract some real, real quality. I mean, I don't think they could hide away from the fact that people like Daryl Meggett, who gets mentioned a lot, Jason Marr, Roy Robertson, this year, Brian, uh, Jordan Kilpatrick, Ryan Thompson, that real, real quality players, to be fair. Some of them, a couple of them are definitely, at best, SPFL one players, probably arguably championship players. So, so there's no doubt there's a lot of quality there, but we spend a lot of time investing in these guys, a lot of time speaking to them, probably from January onwards, leading into that summer, uh, I stopped them daily, weekly. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure they'll confirm that, to be fair. <laughs> uh, so, so we spend a lot of time, but some of it is, Paul, is, is scouting out there. But a lot of it's just in the contacts we've got, some of the players, myself, people around about me. Obviously, the quality, the names you've just you've just mentioned there for people in around the, the, the level of junior football are now caught senior football now we'll know the, the, the type of players you're bringing in what's your aspirations are you going for the championship when we when we return yeah I think so I, I, I think uh, when you're attracting that level of player we've already got a significant level of player at the club just now we've got a wee bit more recruitment to do to be fair uh, but I, I, I think I think there's an expectation that we're going to compete to win the league next year. That's certainly an expectation that I would be placing on my own shoulders. Certainly an expectation I'd be placing on the management staff and the players. And I would expect that expectation to come for John and the committee. Uh, I'm very cautious and very aware and also respectful of the quality that's in that league. It'll be a diff, diff, difficult challenge, different demands every other week. But I think with the players we've got in the recruitment we've done already and maybe still to do, we're still speaking to two or three others of real quality. I think if we can get them in, then yeah, I think I think we would begin to try to compete. Paul mentioned the uh, the West of Scotland League. How how key do you think that is? And Darvel being in that pyramid now, 
in terms of recruiting the likes of Jordan and Ryan, do you think they'd have still come, they'd have still joined the club if it was still the juniors, if you like? Or do you think that that potential to now go up through the divisions is part of the attraction to come into a club like Darville as well, a, an ambitious club like Darville? I, I, I think I, I think what's important for clubs and listen, I'm sure I won't be the only manager who, who says this when he's trying to recruit players is that previously there was a bit of a ceiling in junior football. You, your aspiration every year was to get the Premier Division, try and compete to win it, uh, and try and win the Scottish Cup. What you'll find with guys like Jordan and 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 Darrow and, and and players like that and, and Ryan in particular is that a lot of the time that they'll find themselves in mid-table clubs maybe fighting to get in the playoffs, maybe a good year. Some clubs are yo-yo clubs. There's no real journeys to be had because fundamentally it's a difficult level to progress through. So one of the selling points is that come here, be part of this, help try and get us into senior football in a number of years. There's a journey here to be part of, you can be a leader within that. Uh, and I, So I think that's quite an attractive point where the dynamics quite change in terms of what their aspirations is Every season, you're not going into a season thinking, well, we need to avoid the drop or we need to finish mid-table or try and get in the playoffs. You're going into an environment where the demands and expectations are. You need to win and you need to win every week. So I think it definitely helps. And I'm, I'm sure it'll help other clubs as well. Listen, there's bigger clubs and bigger attractions than Darvo in junior football. I don't think they can deny that. So I'm sure these other clubs as well will be uh, using a similar sales pitch when they get players in front of them. I think it goes down the way as well. We're the opposite end of the scale from where you are, we're Division 2, so we're even now getting players contacting us because we're now in the conferences all of a sudden, it's not that kind of stigma of playing Division 2 football, so it kinda, I think it opens the, opens the door and as you say, it's a, the ceiling's broke a little bit on it. I, I think so as well, Paul, what, what actually happened is, I think, listen, part-time senior football in this country is facing significant challenges, uh, unfortunately, that creates a lot of uncertainty for, for players, unfortunately, at that level. You'll, you, you'll start to find probably over the coming months that this level of football becomes quite a big attraction for players because there's a bit of stability there just now. Yeah, I'm speaking to players quite regularly at that level. No necessarily come to Darwin, just people I know. And clubs are saying, listen, we want you to stay, but we don't know what budget we've got, we don't know what we can pay you, we don't know when you can pay you. Uh, so, and, and you'll find that our level of football become a bigger attraction and I think that will actually just trickle down the way, uh, as you say, it, it, it's probably a bigger draw to be in the, the championships and uh, sorry in the conferences and have an opportunity to, to challenge and try and get into that Premier Division. How, how do you go from here? I mean, nobody knows when football is going to be returning. So, do you try and get your players in early now, or do you leave two or three spaces open in the hope? that nearer the time some good quality, better quality than you can get right now might become available as part of the, the consequences of, of the coronavirus lockdown? No, I, th- I think we've had the targets probably from probably for last November, I've been honest with you. That's probably how early uh, I, I, I'm, always, I'm a bit of a planner, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, we've our targets identified in terms of who we felt we had to spend for and who we felt would fit that. I think it was important to get the balance right that because one of the things that I'm very cautious is that loads of guys come down to senior football and struggle because it is a, it's, a, it's a very, very different environment, uh, different demands, totally different standard. And when we're very cautious in the recruitment, we bring senior players down, we try and bring people down who are in their prime, we try and recruit MD who's over 30, 
Uh, we're bringing guys to senior football. It's important to us. They're around about 26, 27. That they're still hungry. They've got a bit of desire about them and they want to be successful. They don't see it as being the last couple of years, big payday or a half decent pay before they retire. So we're very cautious. But there's a balance to be struck. I think a part of the recruitment strategy was to bring in a couple, two or three quality through part-time senior football who we felt had the right attributes to come in and, and obviously challenge and push the club forward. But also bring in some real quality from this level of football or guys who have played it previously so that's that we've still got about two or three of them to bring in and hope, I, I would love to have had them done by now I've been honest with you but I think that'll probably drag on for another couple of weeks but the sooner I can get them in the better Is, is that where things are maybe a little bit different at Darvel? You talk about the ages of the players you're targeting and we've seen it in the past think of somebody like a, I'm not comparing Darvel to Gretna by any means but they brought in a lot of guys who were maybe towards the other end, you know, the over 30. Um, is that where Darvel is different, that you aren't just planning for the here and now, you're actually planning with a little bit of um, thought about where you're going in the future? I, I think, I don't think they could ignore the success all Mike Talbot have had uh, over the last God knows how many years. Uh, and I, I think probably during each successful period, and I, it's similar to that in terms of Cove as well, there is a core group within that squad, core eight or nine, who have been there for a number of years. Uh, and and, and I, f- I feel it's important that when building a squad, if you want to try and be successful, that you, you can get a core group, eight or nine, who can be together for another five, five, say four or five years. I think they help manage the changing room, they help manage the environment, they help manage the club as well. If you good, solid pros in there. And I think that's been part of the success that Ottomick Talbot had at that level. You, you go through their squad, you could probably pick eight or nine who play week in, week out, who have been there for a number of years, know how the club worked, how successful it is, how it went at that level. So when we were building a squad, I always try and build it on the basis. That, and it was always a three-year planning recruitment at Dabble, to be fair. It was never something we felt we'd get right year one or year two. Uh, but we've probably brought that forward. I think hopefully in year two we'll be a wee bit further forward than I expected. But I wanted to make sure as quickly as I possibly could to get a core eight or nine people who are a good age, good qualities and they can stay together for a number of years I mentioned the detractors earlier on there do you think do you think there's an element of a compliment in that when when you're getting accused of things but it's actually partly a result of people taking notice of how well you're doing and what you're doing and maybe I don't know maybe feeling threatened I, I, I think to be fair, a lot of it probably comes f- 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 is directed probably through social media platforms. It's very difficult to gauge where that's coming from. I suppose uh, I think some of that jealousy was there long before I, I, I turned up at Darwin. To be fair, has it grown slightly since I went in? Maybe it has. Uh, is it fair? Maybe as where where is the certain competition? I think we've come in and we've come in and wanted to compete. We've come in and created a very professional environment where we're quite quickly able to attract real quality players. So I think we've come in and unsettled things ever so slightly. But I think that Tucker, we keep Tucker awake on a Saturday night or the, the, the Ocknick Talbot fans are committed. I, I, don't, I don't think we probably do too well. <laughs> uh, and, and rightly so. Uh, but, but as I say, it's, it's, it's the very start of the journey. We're trying to catch clubs that are massive, massive institutions. Clubs have got Loads and loads of respect for clubs like Pollock and Kilwinnan and Hurlford and real, real, real quality clubs who are massively backed by their communities and, and have got a long-standing history. So we're, we're quite a distance behind, but 
we're catching up quickly. You touched on, you actually touched on the community there. Uh, I know Kevin McDonald quite well, and uh, he always says, I was speaking to him, and he says that there's always a kind of expectation of players to do a lot of kind of community stuff down there as well. The community bought into the, the I've got to say, the, the kind of new Darvel, I suppose, isn't it? Because it's, it's certainly improved over the last few years. Yeah, I, when, when, obviously Kevin's worked with me, so he probably knows how it works. I think when I'd originally agreed to go down with and take over the club, but at the time I was probably getting 60 fans or something through the gate, and I said to Jim and John, listen, for this to, to, to have any kind of sustainability, for us to be able to get in a position where we can financially compete with some of these clubs, eh, we need to get the community buy into it. We need to make sure that they feel as if they're driving it, they feel very much part of it. I'll make sure from my end that we'll buy into the community, the players will buy into it, they'll appreciate it. And it would quite early on we've built up a really really close working relationship with the club the committee and the fans and the community and it's grown rapidly over the which has been an absolute joy to watch but as Kevin probably told you but that, that, that's very much how I work I, I, I try and create a family environment whether that's in the changing room whether that's the committee MD who's connected to the club I make sure they feel part of it they feel valued and they feel as if they're part of what we're trying to achieve and now you've got the link up with Gloucester youth team as well. Is that a big thing for the club as well? Yeah, it was. It was another thing that that I had spoken to John and Jim where I felt there was a gap there. I felt that I was part of a wider valley, which obviously for me, staying in the Glasgow, I wasn't really aware of. To be fair, uh, I struggled to say Galston for a while. I called it Galston uh, a number <laughs> of times, uh, get in trouble for it. Uh, <laughs> but it's partly a it's partly a wider valley. And, and I felt that if we could tap into that wider valley, try and make a bigger impact in the wider uh, and, 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 and try and have some kind of influence on, on younger people that's grown up and create opportunities for them. Uh, Goldstone Academy was already really well established. Loads of kids going through that, really well respected. And I felt it was a, it was a perfect fit. Uh, we want to have a wider impact, probably other than football as well. We want to try and help support as many people in communities as we can so the more people we can get to be part of that then I think the easier that is and, and, and I think that's a fantastic step forward for the club to be fair How much are you down at the club? I mean the way you talk about the club the things you read about the club are you down there a lot of your time I know you've got businesses to look after but you, you sound like your, your heart and soul is being poured into this. You know, you've had, you've had your builders down doing the changing rooms. You know, you're thinking of things more than just the first team. Yeah, listen, I'm probably down there four times a week, uh, and we don't train down there, so that's quite a lot to be fair. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I'm down there every other day to be fair. Probably now I'm doing every day. Uh, we're doing a lot of work in the park. We're stuff getting done, so. I'm probably doing pop my nose into stuff that's really got nothing to do with me, if I've been honest with you. Uh, I'm sure they came out of really tell me that. Uh, but I'm a wee bit of perfectionist. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm down a lot uh, 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 trying to improve things, trying to have some kind of impart uh, uh, my, my influence as much as I possibly can and as much as they let me, to be fair. So, yes, yeah, that's a massive part of my life. Football is in general, to be fair, Gareth. So, I'm fortunate because I've got more businesses, I've got a bit of freedom. Uh, I don't have a structured 95 job Monday to Friday so I've got the freedom to get down there as much as I can uh, So, and I've got a very supportive wife to be fair as well so that helps Do you think um, you're still in the Scottish Cup aren't you? 
when, 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 uh, got. Yeah, I mean, yeah. do you think you're going to get an opportunity to play that? What, what, what are you hearing about that aspect? I know we've talked about the leagues, but there's still a trophy there to play for, isn't there? I think I think there's an aspiration within the association to make it happen. Well, that comes to fruition, I'm not too sure. I think we're still in the quarter-final stage of replay to play, then two semi-finals potentially if they go with the current structure, then a final. So there's a lot of football still to be played. Will it be fitted in? The other thing is we would need the rest of Scotland to agree that as well and how that fits into the current campaign next year, depending on when we get st- when we get started back. Obviously, the, the, the Premier League's technically bigger than what people originally thought it would be, so that brings its own complications. So I think there, there seems to be a degree of hope that we'll get played. I'll be honest with you, I'm not really, really up or down about it. I'll be honest with you, I think it's, it's a difficult one. I think it would be great for the club, great for the community, but from a player's perspective, from my perspective, I think it would feel strange having a new squad, a new group of players. But Ultimately, if we're to go and play it, then we'll go and play it. But I, I don't think I would be upset if it, if it didn't happen. To be honest with you. Which brings us on to the the latest news in the in the juniors leagues in the West. Um, what have you made of of what's been said over the last 24, 48 hours, and the fact that now there's you know we don't know what's going to happen there now. Whether they're going to pull the plug on the initial decision to award or can like the title, whether they're going to change things completely, whether it's going to be the latest kind of drama that's kind of hit Scottish football over the last few weeks. What, what do you make of it all? I, I think my, my, my initial thoughts are that probably we, the West Region juniors coming to an end and, and transferring over into the new West of Scotland League, I think it's probably a very unfortunate way to end things, to be honest with you. I think I would have preferred that it ended in some kind of positivity, but unfortunately it looks like it's going to end in some kind of negative Way uh, uh, until things are obviously cleared up. I, th- I think my own honest opinion is that, uh, and we're probably a club who, who are sort of affected by the times we were sort of judged in a public forum without people having the full information and being really informed uh, all the facts. I, I think that I'm glad the investigation's been put in place because I think it's, it's about open, say, uh, sorry, open and transparency, and I think that hopefully brings some fuller light on the issue. And the people who are involved in it will get an opportunity to clear their name learn all the facts on the table then people can make a more informed uh, judgement on whether there was any issues in relation to how the decisions were made Obviously Mike you guys did benefit from it you did get into the Premier League I don't know what the outcome will be whether the titles will be taken off Auchinleck or whether the guys don't win how do you think that will leave leave the whole situation do you think it will still remain as is the Premier League and then the, the, the three conferences, or do you think there could be people putting up an argument for the teams that got promoted into it? How do you, how do you see that going? I, I, I think I've, the, the consensus seemed to have been, Paul, that people I spoke to, and even Premier League clubs, where I've got six or, six or seven guys who manage or people I know, mates of mine, everybody consensus was they'd settled on conferences and they were happy to enter that, and then take their chances and hopefully get the top four in the Premier League was, was created. We were very much the same. I think the minute the dynamics changed and the Premier League was going over in its current structure, we felt that because we'd been awarded champions, the Constitution states that that gives you an automatic promotion place. So we then were in a position where we felt we had to fight a corner. And to be fair, clubs, yeah, probably nearly every club in the country during the Zoom calls had said that whatever the outcome, if there was to be a Premier League, they felt that the three clubs at the top of the Championship deserve to be promoted. Uh, and thankfully, the Lone League agreed with that and then put that new case forward. 
I think from a lower division club point of view as well, we certainly want to see a Premier League because there's no point in Auckland Lake Talbot's coming down and playing the bottom teams and being a, a non-event. There's, there's a product there, there's a brand there. It's got to it's got to flourish. And some some teams in the leagues, you know, like say Ross Vales and Gart Cairns and all that who have in, invested heavily have to have that kind of path pathway to go. So I'm hoping from our point of view that nothing really changes. Do you know what I mean? That the three conferences remains in the and the Premier League remains. It's just a case of now where they're going to decide should the promoted teams be promoted. And it's the same in the top of Scottish football as well, isn't it? That uh, the whole thing is just an absolute mess. I think the other thing as well is that what society is gets facing such uncertainties now in terms of low level football. Unfortunately, we really need as much positive publicity around about football as we possibly can because. A lot of it we do at grassroots is people coming through the gates and, and local sponsorship and stuff like that. Moving into this new league as well, you want to move in with some kind of positivity that will help people want to be part of the brand, sponsorships, other partners and stuff like that. And as you say, I, th- I think the current structure actually underneath the Premier suits low-level clubs because I think it's a greater chance at, at getting into the Premier division earlier, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm hopeful that structure stays as well, obviously... I'm in that structure, so probably we would be devastated if that was to change. But I'm fairly hopeful that no matter what the outcome is, that that wouldn't change. Ultimately, we weren't awarded a place in the Premier Division because a decision the West Region made. It was obviously because they wouldn't call for a most of the relegation. Uh, it was a decision the whole league felt was a fair decision in terms of how things ended, where we currently were sitting within the championship table and that. So I don't think the decisions or outcomes that's going to happen on the back of investigation or the audit will have any impact on the three championship clubs being in the Premier Division because I think they deserve to be there. But I would you, say that. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you, I mean, after the league's got called, have you guys had a Zoom title party? No, certainly not. <laughs> No. I mean, have you celebrated winning? You must have. Have you? You must have had a glass or something to to celebrate winning the league, though, or something like that. No. 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 To be honest with you, no, no. There was no celebrations at all. I think there was more relief that we're in the Premier Division. I think, yeah. Uh, I, I certainly, I certainly wouldn't celebrate. I certainly didn't didn't celebrate. I, I, I certainly would just because the way it ended to be. Fair. Yeah, I see. Uh, and also because it was so tight by ourselves in Blantyre and. If you really looked at the points per game, I know it was like zero point six, but they, they they had argued to say they'd won the league outright if it was points per game. So there was all that uncertainty as well. So I just felt it was a relief to be in the Premier Division. There was certainly no uh, celebrating. Uh, I congratulated the players on working hard all season and getting the club into a position where promotion could be recognised. But there, there was certainly there was certainly no celebration in my part. Uh, 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 yeah, definitely not. I started off mentioning your your career in the amateurs and your playing career in the amateurs and Captain Scotland amateur team. What 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 do you kind of remember from those days? Good good years, good years. I, I, I think uh, I think it's any level of football you play, if you can get recognition from your country uh, and and actually absolute volume of players who play amateur football, the numbers are significant across the country so it was great years uh, some good great people uh, probably played with Scotland I think for about five years captain for about three uh, that was uh, great memories looking back probably enjoyed it 
uh, it's uh, played with some really good guys who are obviously very competitive against that on Saturday uh, week in week out. But it was it was always a good environment to be part of. Very proud at times. So I it was it was enjoyable. Do you do you look back and? You know, playing wise, do you look back and think you could have played higher? I mean, when you when you're captain in the Scotland amateur team, I know that's the amateur level, but do you look back and think, you know, I could have maybe maybe done more in my playing career? You mentioned your injury earlier uh, earlier on as well. Did that play a part? No, I, th- I, I think listen, when I was younger and you know, obviously in training with senior clubs and stuff like that, uh, so there was there was probably opportunities there. Probably wasn't the most physical in terms of my. my sort of body composition so probably did that help at times definitely not uh, but I think ultimately when I went into amateur football listen, I had opportunities to play junior and stuff like that over a number of years uh, but I always was happy we, we got a really good core group of people at, at Drum Chapel guys who I knew well enjoyed playing me every other week uh, and I just felt that, that it was important to me to enjoy football with great success uh, and, and any time any opportunity came to maybe step up at that level of junior football I, I, I just felt I was happy and, and, and sort of quite enjoyed where I already was so it was never really an option to be fair and your ambitions as a manager just to finish off this, this section of the show your ambitions as a manager would be to to go as high, a, high as you can presumably uh, uh, people, uh, it's strange because people actually think I'm quite ambitious <laughs> personally uh, and, and I think people think I'm a bit of a dog who aren't quite arrogant to be fair as well I'm certainly confident in my own ability I don't think I would never deny that I, listen I've never seen me leaving Colville to be fair so I, I came to Darvo I'm, I'm happy there I, I see myself leaving that level of football oh, probably only if we manage to progress through the leagues if other opportunities arise would you look at them I, I think you have to because I think you need to have personal ambition you need to and you as, as, as long as I feel I'm happy here and I'm challenging myself and the club's challenging, then I'm happier. But I got to a point at Colville Park where I felt that potentially you know, I was too much in my comfort zone. We were running one, three Scottish Cups in four years, won the league four years in a row, a lot of success. And I felt that I had to try and push myself in a different environment, work with a different group of players. Went an environment where players didn't necessarily know me in amateur football because I had a relatively successful playing career. I was relatively well known. So probably made the conversations easier. I was trying to sign players and stuff like that. I was at a very successful club. So I wanted to try and work in a different environment, work with a different group of players, people with different backgrounds, and to, and to see if that culture and ethos and principles and how I work to transcend into a different environment. So and at some point that decision might come in the future. Uh, or John might sack me. John's running to sack people as well. To be fair. So, uh, that, 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 that decision may get made for me, to be fair. Well, one thing I know I said that was the last thing I was going to ask you in this section but Colville last season didn't go so well for them after after you left and there was so much uncertainty about the future seems to be talk that they will be back again and that must be something that you must be quite quite happy to see that the club didn't didn't just vanish I, yeah, I, I, listen, that, it was a, as I said earlier on it was a massive wrench leaving the club I was devastated to leave and devastated to break up that group of players as well. We had, had a number of years uh, of success together. Quite emotional, to be fair. Very emotional when it sort of all came to an end. Because uh, I knew it was breaking up. Some guys would make the transition way. Some guys would go on different journeys. So it was sad then on the back of that. Guys like Joe and, and Andy, who'd been there for a number of years, uh, uh, running the club in the background, 
I was only hopeful that, that the club continue. Unfortunately, it struggled, uh, and ultimately they had to, to obviously stop and, and restart again. So hopefully uh, they can continue to rebuild the club and get back up and, and running again. But listen, amateur football just now faces significant challenges, very much like other parts of grassroots football. Football park are the only struggle, but hopefully that history and guys like Joe and Andy there, they can rebuild the club and get it back into a position where it's successful and competing. Kelty Hearts are considering legal action against the SPFL after being denied a playoff following their Lowland League title win. Bowness United will be promoted to the Lowland League, subject to club licences being approved after the East of Scotland League voted to finish their season. Tynecastle and Lothian Thistle Hutchison Vale will go up to the Premier Division as joint First Division winners. Season 2021 will operate with a Premier Division of 18 clubs and two First Division conferences of 16 clubs each. Whitburn have moved quickly to appoint Jamie Sandilands as their new manager. He takes over from Jason Bolam, who left the club a couple of weeks ago. Port Glasgow have been busy getting players to commit to them for when football resumes. Scott Keogh, Brad Cooper, Darren Patton, Macaulay MacArthur, Jamie Campbell and Jack McClarty have all put pen to paper on extensions. And some sad news to report, Mary Hill have suffered vandalism at Lockburn for the second time in as many weeks. They've had to pay out to install CCTV cameras. Obviously, we all hope they catch the culprits. Which brings us to our new feature, Inside the Mind. Each week, we'll put our guest on the spot to delve deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Mick, are you ready for this? Here I am on your goal, fire away. <laughs> uh, first up, who was your idol as a boy? Eric Cantner. In football, I'm a massive Man United fan. Uh, so he was my idol growing up. Did you model your game on him? Probably didn't run about as, as, as much <laughs> as he did, to be fair. Uh, but no, he was, listen, he was a great talent, uh, really charismatic. Bigger head at the club at that time. Uh, and, and I, it was, I just I absolutely idolised the guy growing up he was a fantastic football player Who's the opponent you always dreaded facing? It's, it, 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 it's strange I, I think probably there was a guy who used to play uh, play the Colvo part before I went and I played sweeper a lot in my career that, that, uh, uh, and I, I wasn't renowned for being a dominant defender to be fair it was more because I would try and go on the ball and build play and stuff like that Cole Park had a centre forward at the time Gareth Forsyth he was about 6 feet 4 he uh, uh, was an exceptional gifted football player and, and very intelligent so 9 times out of 10 in offensive play he would just play on me uh, pick me up move me around put me in his pocket put me up, and just uh, so he terrorised me every other week every other week before, to be fair but he was probably I didn't look forward to playing him he was, it was, it was far, far, far too physical for me uh, What was the favourite football top you wore and why? Probably Scotland top, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, as I say, great experience, uh, being captain and stuff like that, so wore it with real pride. Uh, uh, so that was probably probably the, the most important jersey I wore. What was the highlight of, of that wearing the Scotland top? What was, the, what was the, uh, the game that you look back on most fondly or the biggest game you played? There was loads. So... so it's, the, the amateur Scottish international level is fairly well run to be fair so you go and play in Europe and stuff like that uh, so there's all moments like that but I think a captain Scotland at Hamden in the certainty year uh, the amateur team uh, at Hamden so that was pretty special to be fair uh, 
that was probably the most probably memorable game I played. Who's the best player you played with? Steve McDevitt, captain just now at uh, Darvel. Played with him for a number of years. Uh, absolute winner. Not no in terms of technical ability, uh, but just a, a, an absolute winner. Dedicated to the game. Somebody you knew in the trenches, 100% to count on him, rely on him. Probably going to work my work and running for me over the years as well, so I appreciate that. Uh, but aye, he's just an absolute phenomenon uh, to, to, to play football with. In terms of managing, probably Daryl Meggett. Yeah. Exceptionally gifted football player. Aye, he's probably the best I've worked with. Uh, other players as well, that are like Dan Mullins and stuff like that, but Daryl is a, a top, top player. And what's the best practical joke you've seen played? I can probably tell you a cracker. Probably, I've probably got a, it's, a bit, it's a bit long-winded. It's a bit, it's a bit of a story, to be fair. That's I've, fine. Seen, I've seen one on the internet with you today. Getting pranked. The oh, garbage <laughs> that, 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 that was Darren Muller that done that. Aye. So, so aye. Listen, that, that's part of my close relationship with players at times. They take the nick at me a wee bit. So, so the story, probably the best prank I've, I've, I've ever heard or been part of. At the time, when I, we, we just, Alec Cleary, who's a good mate of mine, uh, had just left under 21 football, was in training with Clyde at the time. Uh, played with Hamlin Road, didn't quite work out. So the gaffer had said to him, listen, Alec, if MD phones up looking for a centre mid, young, I'll put your name forward. So Alec tells all the boys that story. Uh, none of us are any wiser. A couple of weeks later, Alec gets a phone call from the manager at the time. I think they said he was from Brighton. So at this time, you know, Alec stayed across the road from one another. So I, I know I'm not in, the, I'm not in the, the prank at this point. So Alec phones me over. I have to go meet the Brighton manager in the town for uh, dinner. The night he's phoned me, I need a suit. I need more smart dress. Can you give me a suit? So comes across. I give him a suit. No worries. He says, I'll phone you when I'm finished. No worries, mate. All the best. So, 20 minutes later, go across to his house, go in, speaking to his dad. So, what's happening? He's, he's not to meet him uh, in the town, he's to meet him at Celtic Park. He's, he's, the, the, the gaffer's going to ever meet me, Mark Neil. So, I'm like, okay. So, Alex's mum takes him to Celtic Park, walks up to the front door, says to security, I'm here to meet, I can't remember who the manager was at the time. I'm meeting here for dinner and. Uh, uh, the restaurant upstairs, so we got a better seat. Alec takes a seat. The egg is a bit cold, however. Alex on another phone call. Hi, I'm just up the stairs, Alex. I won't be long. Would you want to start? You want prawn cocktail or soup? <laughs> so Alec goes, uh, prawn cocktail, please. This is a true story. Right? Ten minutes pass. Another phone call. I'll just, I'll not be long. I'm doing that. Just give me. So he sat, he sat in there for nearly 25 minutes, by the way. Then about. Two minutes later, his phone goes again. He says, "Listen, Alec, I just let you know. I've just I've, I've agreed to sign Didier Agat instead." <laughs> right, so Alec's like, "All oh, right, okay." He walks outside, and my mates all drive up in a transit and slide the door open. And it's way more. Oh, that's heartbreaking. So, at what, at what point did you? At what point I, did you I find out? To the end, he phoned me up and said, "See, the thing is, I know his mum had left him. They didn't even pick him up. They left him standing there." So. If, if, if phoned me up and said you need to come along and pick me up then that's when we found out and it was my big day who I just spoke about who was 
my mate. He was one of the ones in the van. Uh, so that was that's probably the best wind up I've ever now been part of. <laughs> that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Ah, that's it. was <laughs> devastating, by the way. I mean, he was devastating. Brilliant. So we've uh, we've looked at football in lockdown, Mick. But uh, what about business? Uh, you're in the Black Rooster Chicken outlets, as we said. Uh, how, how how has that been over the the last couple of months? Has that been has that been tough on the business? How has the business been? It's been. We've got currently six restaurants I own. Uh, my business partner. We have another two that are franchise owned by franchisees. And so so it was difficult at that time. To, we had to close all the businesses down, unfortunately. Uh, franchises had to close down. We were also at a point where they probably at that point sold an additional 12 franchises as well. So we're dealing with legals, properties, construction, renovation works and stuff like that. So there was loads of stuff happening. So it probably all came at the wrong time. So that's been probably really difficult. We've managed to get a couple of the businesses open back up, uh, just doing takeaways and stuff like that just now. So it's meant that we're still generating money. It allows us to pay all our bills, make sure the business is still functioning in the background. It's been uh, it's, it's been difficult, but listen, we are fortunate that, that we can bring in some kind of income because we're a food business. I've got other mates and friends who own other kind of businesses, and uh, they've been really really badly affected by it, unfortunately. How did you get involved in the the restaurant industry? Do you know, Paul? God knows, mate. My my, <laughs> my background is public sector. I worked in public sector all my life. Did you? Uh, so, aye, so that, that's probably my, my background, uh, that's what I've done for most of my life then. I probably got to a point where I, I wanted to take a bit of career break, uh, and my mate had said to me at the time, listen, we'd, we'd looked at buying a franchise of some description of other sort of restaurant chains, and they said, listen, why don't we try it ourselves? And we, three years ago, in 2017, we opened the first one, and it just went crazy overnight, uh, and it's been all-consuming since then, to be fair. How do you come up with the name? Yeah, I we we we, we, we obviously we we'd been round and round in circles trying to find something. I, I think uh, I think it was actually me who eventually came up with Black Rooster. Uh, Kevin probably says the same to be fair, my business partner. <laughs> uh, but but I think it was me who came up with the name. But uh, aye, it was it was strange. But it, it's it's been a strange journey to be fair, because everybody thinks you're Bill Gates. <laughs> and the, the, the reality is there's been quite a bit of fortune behind it, to be honest with you. I think we're very fortunate with the demographic customer base. They're all young, 16 to 30, all use social media. Uh, and, and, and overnight, they've helped grow the business. Uh, and probably over the last maybe year, we've really sat down and went, like, listen, we'll probably get something quite good in our hands here. And uh, we've restructured it, brought in more professional people who've got probably better knowledge and experience in this sector. And we've, we've started to build some kind of business that looks like it's, it's going to be pretty successful. Uh, we've, I think by, I'd imagine by summer 2021, we'll, we should be up to 20 stores in Scotland. Uh, right. And some kind of footprint in England at that point as well. So it's 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 all going reasonably well just now anyway. So fingers crossed. I was going to mention to you, you know, where you want to take it. What is the ambition now? You mentioned England, you mentioned 2021, but... You know, there's so many established from the outside looking in. There's so many established outlets out there which you're coming up against. What 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 makes you different? You talk about the demographic, the social media, and all that. Is that something that that you really want to kind of uh, zone in on, if you like, and actually try and maximise the business that way? 
Yeah, I, I, I think quite early on, listen, I grew up in East End of Glasgow uh, in a place called the Calton, which is next to the Barrows. Uh, great place to grow up, but really challenging, not a lot of money around. And I think when we decided to try and build a business, that a food business, that we wanted to build something that was affordable for people from every walk of life, something that uh, we, we could put in communities that people could could feel that they could come and access it a couple of times a week. Uh, and, and I think that's been one of the strengths of the business. The price point is very reasonable. The quality of the food's very high. Uh, and that's helped grow the model as well. So we're always very conscious conscious of that from like at the start. They wanted to make sure that the, the model that, that fitted in, in the communities ultimately. And, and that's what it's done. And that's been a massive part of the success. We've had the first one open was probably half a mile from where I grew up and so I think it's been the, the roots of the business has been in Glasgow I think that's been important to us and I think the plan is that we'll grow it as, as quickly and as fast as we can then sell it as quick and as fast as I can <laughs> basically is <laughs> the plan uh, so if I was out there wanting to buy it just let me know <laughs> down the divisions at gmail.com of course, I'll give you a cut as well. I was going to say, must be a percentage in that, Gareth. <laughs> do you uh, do, do you get involved in the? I was going to say the recipes, but the, do you get involved in the food side of things actually, and what gets served, or do you leave that to, to the chefs or the experts? I, I, I worked in the first one very early on for the first couple of weeks. My business partner's very operational, very hands-on. Uh, he loves being in the kitchen and stuff like that. I'm probably. My background is slightly different, so uh, I probably do with more professional elements in the business. Uh, but he enjoys the hands-on stuff. It, basically, he enjoys the hard work, and I enjoy the easy stuff. Is probably the best way I put it. If I'm being honest with you. Uh, so I try and I try and st- stay away from the kitchens as, as as far as I can and as best as I can. So, uh, but I Kevin's very very hands-on to be fair. But it's that's a, I think what I enjoy about it is it, it's gave me a lot of freedom. Uh, I've always had a Monday to Friday job, long hours, demanding, really, really un- high pressure jobs as well. This is pressure, but a different kind of pressure. So uh, I- I've no longer had a young daughter two years ago as well, so it gives me a lot of time to spend on stuff like that. So I enjoy the freedoms of that. So it's, it's been really enjoyable in that sense. Has John Gore been trying to get his pies in the Black Rooster? We, we tried to develop a pity pie, actually. <laughs> I, give, I give him a couple of samples of sauce and stuff like that but uh, I think he was trying to get into Aldi or something like that I don't know what's happened in the back of that uh, <laughs> so he's, 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 he's not told me any further development yet so. <laughs> are we bringing a rival out? aye listen John's always on the front foot to be fair <laughs> he's, always trying, he's always trying to create something so uh, aye so we tried to do something together but it didn't quite work out before we finish up we'll just clear up the down the divisions decider poll you want to hear them again? CNN launched the first 24-hour cable network. World Snooker Championship was contested between Cliff Thorburn and Alex Higgins. Thorburn won it, winning 18-16. Hearts won the Scottish League 1, getting promoted to the Premier Division. Keith won the Highland League. And Aberdeen won the Premier Division. 1980. Was it? Yeah. When were you born? When, when were you born, Mick? Uh, 1980, that's how I was going to have a clue. See, that's how I give you five clues. Uh, I didn't need the ten clues for once, wasn't it? One of the clues would have been, what year were you born, Michael? That's how I was going to get that. 
Uh, so still 1-0 Davis then at the minute. Certainly is. Mick, thanks for thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, all the best for for the continued work on and off the park at Darville, and we'll be we'll be watching with interest when football gets going again. And also, obviously, good luck with with Black Rooster and expanding the branches around Scotland and, and England, as you say. Cheers, man. No worries, guys. A, a pleasure. Thanks very much for inviting me on it. Obviously, the show is a massive success, a lot of attraction, stuff like that. So it's a pleasure to be here. So I thanks for your time, Paul. Good luck for next season, mate. Uh, Likewise. Hope, hope things go well. Do you want to send the couple of players down? Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, be a funeral getting again. <laughs> so, I listen, I wish you all the best, mate. I hope Just things go well and you do, mate. Have, a, have, a, have a, good, a good campaign in front of you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Don't forget, you can get in touch with the show with comments or suggestions for people to speak to. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Do leave a comment which helps others find us and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll speak to you again next week on Down the Divisions. Down the Divisions.